Need essentials, David. You know what? Need essentials, wetsuits, board shorts, walking shorts, outerwear, everything you need, only the essentials. I love my need essentials. Outside of this back door right now is some snowboarding outer gear that's drying out from this season. People love it. And you know what I'm powered by today, Scott? What's this? Athletic greens, bros. There's no other way <laughs> to start the day. Can you hear the shaker? I do. I hear the shaker. You know what? It's easy. It's healthy. A green drink, 75, highly absorbable. It's the combination of ingredients that's the key. Vitamins, mineral, minerals, real nutrition sourced from whole foods. Plus, David, as you know, probiotics and digestive enzymes to help your body absorb and synthesize. It's a part of my daily regime. I know it's a part of your daily regime, David, and it's been that way for quite a while. I'm a huge fan. Feel better, live better, athleticgreens.com slash surf is our portal to support the show, athleticgreens.com slash surf. And then of course, NVS Fins is with us as well uh, for all your surfboard finning needs, quads, thrusters, twins, singles, with futures tabs or FCS tabs to fit whatever boxes you run in your boards. So uh, surfnvs.com and our promo code is the word podcast. You save 10% off their Apex series fins, which is the best series of fins that they have. All right, Scott, on to today's show. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got God. <laughs> yeah, God, David. It is Spit. It's the surfing talk show, surf talk radio. Spit, where we're spitballing. We're talking all things surf. Good morning, David Scales. It is the longest running surf co-hosted podcast on the interwebs by a long margin, I would say. Yeah, man. Congratulations. Yeah, bro. You know, you deserve congratulations. We both do. I mean, so 2013, I believe, is when we started recording together. So we're going on nine years wow. now. Consistently, though, that's the that's the key. Nine years consistently. Just imagine. Prior to that, I was doing it for eight years. Eight that, thir- since 2005, I've been on the Surf Talk Radio program. Was was the internet even around back then? It was. It was slow and spotty and dodgy. And um, it was better. It was way better back then. <laughs> <laughs> it was always offshore and glassy, I heard. So much uh, better. <laughs> um, so how many episodes did you have under your belt in those eight years? Was it weekly? Was it bi-weekly? No, well, yeah, it was. So at Surfer, it started out, I, I kind of can't remember. I think it was weekly, but it, it was real spotty. There'd be weeks where I just didn't do it. Then when I when I was um, brought over to terrestrial radio in San Diego, you had to be, it was every week and you had to be on your game. Obviously it was live too. It was live radio. So it was um, every week. And then that ended and it was real spotty until you gave me a call or an email and I was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. That's when, that's when I was really trying to, 
that's why I called is because it was spotty. I was like getting into it and recording my episodes, but I was like, God, Scott needs consistency. Like if he just had like a regular co-host that he could depend on and publish and all that sort of stuff. Um, the terrestrial radio days, were you recording those as well? Do those tapes yeah. exist? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could play one for you right now. Those I got them on okay. my hard drive. in the new world of NFTs and uh, the new world order, those yeah. are going to have some real serious value. And the fact that they've been so inaccessible since then yeah. only increases their value for when they actually get released. And if you would have released them, I'd say three years ago or something, um, there would have been a little following for them. But I feel like the more time you wait, our show, the medium at large, podcast medium at large continues to grow. And so now and in the future, there will be an opportunity where you could just package those up and make them all available for, you know, whatever the price yeah. is. And, and I have a bunch of the Surfer Magazine ones as well, as you know. In fact, the Surfer Magazine ones I have on video because we video there you them. Go. There you go. That'd be the premium price. You get the video and the audio. <laughs> it's a lot of work to get it all going, though. This, hey, this is your retirement weird... fund. Oh, man. There's no retiring, bros. This is the United States of America. People don't retire. They work at Walmart. I was going to say, um, retire retire from what? Surfing every day and golfing? Oh, my God. Hey, um, I had this weird thought. I was thinking, I don't know. Do people know that? Do people know the big news that you have? Because I don't want to say anything. Yeah, else. yeah, they do. Okay. So David, David's pregnant. Okay, that's the big news. David's pregnant. David and his beautiful friend are pregnant together. <laughs> and then I was thinking to myself. It was a miracle of modern medicine. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, what if they named their child Guy? Yeah, Guy. <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, you'd be at the Little League game. You'd be like, yeah, Guy. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you're just telling me you missed an opportunity for your own son that you've been regretting for 20 years. And now you're trying to foist it upon me. <laughs> foist is such a great word. Thank you. Is it used appropriately? I think so. Even if it wasn't, it doesn't matter these days. I've gotten a lot of submissions from listeners about baby names. I bet you have. None, um, is, none is great as Guy. There's no I don't doubt. know. I'll run, them, I'll run them by you. You tell me. Somebody okay. pitched Kyle. No. You're not into Kayo? No. It's unique. There's only one other Kayo in the world. <laughs> yeah, but he's a Brazilian. You're an American. What does that have to do with anything? We're, we're a fan of his, so this is an homage. Okay. Uh, what else? Some, what else do you got? Middle name Superfoods. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's almost as silly as Guy. Well, I don't think people are going to send me, like, earnest, legitimate submissions. What's They're your only father's me... middle name? Edward. Were you trying to like find the password to my login or something? <laughs> and by no. the way, what city were you born in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Edward. Yeah, right. So I don't think we're going to do, while we do have um, the utmost respect for our parents and our grandparents, Yeah. I don't think we're going to go that route. Um, well, here's what you need to know. Yeah. Your significant other will be making this decision. <laughs> okay. Now, what you need to do is just pretend, like throw in, she's going to go, What do you think about baby names? And you're going to throw some thoughts at her. And then eventually it's going to, she's going to be like, Well, I like this, this, and this. And you're going to go, You know what? Me too. And that's how it's going to go down. Okay. So I'll, 
I'll try to affect my influence right. in a very subversive way. I won't tell her straight out what I think. I'll no. maybe I'll no. plant the seed. Right. I'll start whispering it in her ear while she's asleep. And then she'll yeah. wake up and she'll be like, Hey, I got an idea for a name. David Lee Scales the Second. That's what I'm <laughs> You know what you do is you you go into the hardware store at home, you go into the hardware department at Home Depot and you just look at tools and you can come up with some great names. Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Hammer is going to go. I All like right. the name. I like the name Wolfgang. Do you? Yeah, but she's not going for it. And I did not know to use the whispering technique until right now. I told her straight out and she was not into it. Well, one of the other things you can do is you can go, you know, that name you suggested the other day, Wolfgang, I really like it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just Trick make, her into make, it. Yeah. Make it her idea. Crazy. I think she's smarter than I am and I'm not sure that she would fall for it. Yes. This is a good sign that, cause I've done this too. I've married a woman that's much, much smarter than me. And it's really, it's really a good thing. Yeah. Um, well, you're wearing a boardroom show hat. Are we going to yeah. see listeners at the oh. boardroom show this year? Yeah, the boardroom show coming up September 25th and 26th. The boardroom show <laughs> this September 25th and 26th. We did have to move the date. We got a call from the fairgrounds and they kicked me to the curb like the redheaded stepchild that I am. No offense to redheaded stepchildren, of course. And um, so, yeah, September 25th and 26th. We're super excited. The boardroom surfboard show presented by U.S. Blanks honoring Pat Rawson. Um, it looks like Tom Carroll's going to be there. It looks like Bill Barnfield's going to be there. There's going to be a bunch of cool people there celebrating Pat Rawson's uh, icon of foamery, if you will. How is, uh, how'd you get Tom Carroll? Well, Tom's a dear, dear friend of Pat's and he's a friend of mine and Tom wants to be there to celebrate Pat's moment, you know, as these eight shapers try to replicate a classic Pat Ross and surfboard in the tribute to the masters icons of foam presented by us blanks. So he's not serving any role. He's not speaking. He's just there as a support. Oh, he might do some speaking or something. I, we're going to have our, we're going to have our dinner that we do every, every year where, where you can have a quiet private meal with Pat and Tom Carroll. You know, you pay a premium and you get to sit down with seven other people and, and you get a surfboard and you get um pitch a, it scott or you get an, a wonderful evening everyone that's ever done this has gone oh my god that was so killer now we've only done it once <laughs> so <laughs> we did it with wayne lynch and wayne was so great he was such a a fun host for the evening he told stories until you know 11 o'clock at night and he was very patient and he listened to everybody and he was just he was just great and uh that would be loved. Really good. Oh yeah, Pat and Tom Carroll both super, um, super good, patient listeners, and um, understanding that you know these people are paying a premium to to sit and to listen and to talk and to be able to get to know and befriend these legends in our sport. So um, that evening's always fun. It's at Ranch Forty Five, and they serve incredible meals. And there's live a little live couple guys playing acoustic guitar and wine and beer and a three course meal. It's quite a quite a shindig well the really added value there would be if there was a piano because rawson would end up oh, yeah. on the piano and he would do not only um you'd have dinner with him he'd entertain 
Well, you know what? Uh, we're we're going to bring a piano. That's a great you idea. should. I mean, he'll honestly spend have, two hours on it. I have one behind me that we'll bring. A little keyboard? Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you get tickets to that? Is that already sold out? No, um, we haven't even begun that process, but um, okay. I'm in It'll full... I'm in full ramp up mode right now because um, it's only four months and two weeks away. The boardroom surfboard show presented by us blanks in Del Mar. Well, so it's, sne it's sneaking up on me. Basically the tickets will be available on boardroomshow.com probably oh, with yeah. alongside um, tickets to the actual boardroom show itself. Right. Ex exactly. Yeah. There'll be one ticket page where you can buy to the dinner. You can buy to the show. It'll be, um, you know, there'll be a lot of stuff. Probably get a hat. Lauren is uh, planning to make an appearance in her nine-month pregnant glory at that point. Uh, barring any unforeseen circumstance, she's going to at least come and we'll get a sofa for her to lounge on or something. Oh, for sure. Maybe we can birth the child there. That would be incredible. Could you imagine Dude, that? You're that just would be a always first. looking for publicity for the boardroom <laughs> show. <laughs> the birthing of God. <laughs> You'll be like trying to, I don't know how you even induce labor. You'll be like shouting in her face or something when she walks in, trying to scare her around each corner. I'll have like a mister. I'll be like spraying a mister that like sends out hormones or enzymes or something. <laughs> I'll present her with some athletic greens. I'll be like, here, drink mm -hmm. this. Speaking of which, uh, approved right. approved for um, for raising a child in your womb. It's good Absolutely. for the child. Um, so let's, I got some feedback or a, a, a tremendous amount of feedback, in fact, from last week's show with Devin and all the leashless talk. Oh, what did, okay. What did you get from that? What was the general commentary that you saw? Um, I got a few people that, that I think correctly, um, thought that my tone was a little bit off. I think my tone was a little bit off, but, um, Mostly I got, Hey, Scott, you're wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's mostly what I, to summarize it. It was like, Scott, you're wrong. Leashes are a thing and they need to be a thing. And I don't think people understood where I'm coming from. I basically kind of just, I, I'm just going to agree with Devin. Like it's my personal thing. I, by the way, I wear a leash more often than not these days. Cause the water's chilly. I don't like to swim in the cold water, but, but um, you know, people are like, look, it's just too crowded these days. You, you know, regardless of what you thought was cool or why you, whatever your reasoning for thinking that you can surf without a leash, those days are over. You need to surf with a leash. That's been, you know, I would say three out of four emails I got were like that. And then I would get an occasional, Hey man, you're right. Leash bro. Leashless bro. Yeah. So it's, um, I'm surprised that you got negative feedback because I felt like Devin did 95% of the talking in that segment. And also not only the talking, but like the one, he's the one who took the very strong position. So I'm surprised that you got that, but I did too. Like somebody's like, David, I can't believe you don't wear a leash, but I'm like shaming me. And I go, go back and listen to that episode. I never once said that I don't wear a leash. And this is what's interesting for you and I, who are not trained media professionals, we've been doing it long enough now to where we probably are, but I'm shocked at the way that things get interpreted versus what we say often. And then even what our intention is, I, I kind of presume that people can read intention and often I don't think that they can. And then they often willfully 
misunderstand, I think, what we're saying. And so, yeah, for people just to get it completely wrong about me, I was like, what? I never said that. Anyways, yeah. back to Devin. Um, ultimately, it was a very interesting experience for me listening to that and seeing all the feedback. I think the one misstep that I will take responsibility for is that it could have been perceived that we were promoting surfing leashless. And I don't, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't promote that. Devin yeah. wouldn't promote that. I was, what was happening or kind of the way that I grew up, I've, I've seen everybody living in Southern California, everybody from Tom Curran to Kelly Slater to Dane Reynolds to John John Florence all come through town and surf leashless. I've seen them do it in Huntington. I've seen them do it at Lowers even where there's rocks and they don't lose their board and nobody gets maimed because they are the top level of athlete. And so I watch that and I, and I think, wow, that's aspirational, but I'll end up swimming to the beach 10 times. So I'm going to wear my leash, you know? So that still exists today. Kelly Slater, those guys still surf leashless, especially if it's shore break, you know, close to shore beach break or whatever. And Devin is closer to that end of the spectrum than he is to the kook end of the spectrum. And even John John Florence, he doesn't surf everywhere leashless, but he showed up in those instances where I saw him and he assessed the conditions and how many people were in the water and opted to not wear a leash for all of the reasons that Devin already illustrated. There's benefits to not doing it or to not wearing a leash. So that I kind of presume that any listeners have that understanding which is, oh yeah, the top surfers in the world don't need to, and it holds them back. So they don't. And they also assess the situation. We didn't state all of that qualifier in our discussion. So we just came out having the conversation, presuming people already understood that qualifier. And it probably sounded like we're promoting surfing without a leash, which I never did. And you never did. And so that is the only confusion. And I think that that is irresponsible to do because you know, people in positions of influence, listeners will take that advice or they'll see John John potentially, and then they'll go out and try to do it as well. And people will get hurt. They're not making the same assessments that John John is. Um, but knowing all of that, I still feel steadfastly in the positions that we expressed last week, which is if you're good enough and you're qualified by all means, have that little advantage of not having a leash and go out and surf at the top of your game. Yeah. Another thing too, just, just to finish this real quick is that people might not realize, but Devin's about 10 years younger than me, but Devin and I both, there was a seer, there was a time where all I did was ride a longboard. And I'm talking about 15 years where I just rode a longboard and I rode a longboard for 15 years without a leash. So it was just second nature for me to grab my board. I mean, the longboard's easy to grab. I was 20 something years old. I was in top physical, you know, I was athletic enough to grab my board at all times, you know? Um, so I guess what I'm getting at it's, is that it's second nature for us. This yeah. isn't like, um, I didn't, I wouldn't even think about it, you know? And that translates over now into shortboarding. Like I can still, I still have that mindset and I, I still know I got to grab my board. I'm not going to go do some freaky aerial right here because I have to control my board. And, and there is, uh, as Devin mentioned, there is a lot of fulfillment in being able to be in complete control. 
that was the other detail that I was kind of surprised a lot of people didn't understand is, I don't know, he talked about a rite of passage. For me, it was never a rite of passage. It was just there were times growing up where I didn't wear a leash and the fulfillment that you're talking about, I recognized. And so I don't want to say that, you know, all the listeners who are pro leash are all vows and they've not gone through the same, you know, learning that you and I went through over the course of 20 and 30 years and beyond, but um, they did miss some version of that learning experience. And I think they're missing out like surfing without a leash does come inherent in it comes all of this kind of, um, I don't know, fulfillment's not the right word, but there's kind of just intrinsic benefit in it, you know, from, from swimming and just from learning how to be in more control of your board and all that sort of stuff, you become a better surfer by surfing leashless. Yeah. You just, of course, again, I just presume that we all understood the caveat of without putting other people's lives in risk, you know? Well, speaking of becoming a better surfer, I want to shift gears if I can. I have um, something that, that I think is the most underreported story of 2020 slash 2021. And in my opinion, this is the the story of the year. What happens now with the internet, with the way that we digest information is that big things happen, like insurrections on the Capitol, and then they just get pushed away and we're looking to the next thing. And one of those things happened in surfing, and I think it's a big deal. And so here's the deal. Michael Ho getting an absolute draining backdoor barrel at the age of 64, in my opinion, is the story of the year. This is absolutely unheard of. Think about this. The youngest person in the lineup besides us is probably in his 40s, right? And that's 11 times world champion Kelly Slater. The oldest person in the lineup. The second oldest person. Yeah, yeah. Relative to to 64-year-old Michael Ho. Yeah. Is 25 years younger. And that guy's 40 something and it's Kelly Slater, right? And there's probably a few others. Derek Ho, rest in peace, comes in mind. But you don't see Mike Ho's contemporaries. You don't see Sean Thompson. You don't see Peter Townend. You don't see Rabbit Bartholomew. You don't see Ian Cairns. You don't see Jerry Lopez. None of Michael Ho's contemporaries are anywhere near pipeline, let alone the more treacherous backdoor pipeline. Now, Michael Ho won the prestigious Duke contest, Duke Hanamoku contest in 1978. And in 1982, he's won it twice. He won the triple crown of surfing in 1983 and 1985. I was 18 years old. He won the pipe masters in 1982. 15 years later at age 40, which is unheard of, except for Kelly Slater, He finished runner up second place in the pipeline masters. So we have Michael Ho, 64 years old. Think about that. 64 years old. He's paddling into an eight foot bomb at backdoor pipeline and getting blown out of a mean, deep, wide open beast of a wave. It's simply unheard of. And oh, by the way, it'll never happen again. I don't see Kelly Slater being 64 years old at backdoor pipeline. He's going to be golfing. Maybe I'm wrong. That door, which 
1975 crew of Australians and South Africans broke down is now being used by Michael Ho as a changing mat. Nothing against those guys. I think they would agree that Michael Ho is the undisputed 2020-2021 champion of the busting down the door era. He wins. Of all those guys, he's the winner when we talk about 35 years of surfing. Michael Ho, 64 years old, backdoor pipe. It's not off the wall. It's not chuns. It's not V-land. It's not lowers. It's the most dangerous 40-yard section of reef on the most treacherous stretch of waves in the world. Michael Ho, 64 years old. He deserves some sort of double ARP award. He definitely deserves O'Neill Wave of the Winter Award. This, in my opinion, is the most underrated, underreported story of the year. It's mind-blowing. When did this happen? Gosh, it happened, I don't know. I want to say in January or February of this year. Okay. I just want to make sure I saw the wave. I didn't know if it was a wave from this past week or two. No, no, no. This was like, you know, mid-winter North Shore. Yeah. Pumping, um, pumping perfect, insane. Describe, can you describe the wave? Well, I would suggest everyone just go Google it. But I mean, yeah, it was it was a massive, perfect swell at pipe, you know, eight to 10 feet for going both ways, rights and lefts. And it, it was, a you know, just a legit mind blowing, super gnarly, super heavy, tippy toe drop in three feet, two feet of water backdoor pipe with staring down reef. Um, I mean, this guy, not to mention some of the crazy wipeouts he's taken at Waimea on the inside short pound. This guy's got some cojones, man. It It is just not a place for a 64-year-old man. I'm telling is you, this... it is not. Like, you're over, most people are overpiped by age 30, unless yeah. you live right there. And there's a few guys, you know, that live there. That's, but it's it's a young man's game. And for him to be getting the wave of the day at it's just insane. Just 64 years old. And maybe it's because I'm getting older and I can barely get to my feet at a, on two foot, you know, it's, it's mind blowing the, the physical specimen that is Michael Ho. I mean, this is, this is, this is incredible. Did, um, is it the wave that he doggy doors and straightens out? Yeah, I'm or sure. He... Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I do remember this wave specifically then. Um, it's one yes. where my, it's, it's on the a clip with Mason. It's one yeah. where Mason's like, everyone's like, I mean, when it happened, it was, it was news, you know, everyone's like, Oh my God, did you see my, but I, I think it got buried too soon. I think it needs to be, I think people need to put it into context, understanding his age. This wasn't a 35 year old dude. This was a 64 year old going on 65. Well, I think the re part of the reason, um, that it doesn't get more than one day's worth of airtime is because we've seen him doing it for so many years. It's like, Oh, Michael Ho got another backdoor wave, but you forget the context that you just built, which is his age mainly. Yeah. Um, you need to have him on the boardroom show podcast to just spend an hour asking what he does. Like what's your exercise? What's your diet like? And I'd be actually, actually surprised if he does, um, a whole lot of regimented training. Like I'm wondering if just surfing consistently and frequently for, you know, day in and day out for four decades, five decades, if that'll actually keep your body tuned. I, um, I've, I've heard that that's his, that is his plan. I've heard that from somebody, um, you know, and I, I can't back it up. I can't validate that, but um, be I have because, heard that 
I think it was Ian or somebody. One of those guys is like, yeah, the Michael Ho plan is just surf. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which it, I don't know if it's a genetic thing. It works for some people, but um, I'd say nine out of 10 other 64 year olds, even if they applied that same method, once they sat on the sofa, their body would seize up and, you know, or once they slept throughout the night, they would need to still wake up and do some stretches and even much younger people need that despite who do you, being who do you think could do what he did that's let's say 50 years old like that seems like they're super athletic and they're pretty good surfers well you know, tom like, carroll's a great example i mean that guy is as fit yeah. i mean he his body is shredded if you've seen him without a shirt on yeah he's like probably still weightlifting do you um, think that he could could paddle out at pipe backdoor pipe and not pipe but backdoor pipe although it's backside for him yeah i, I mean and part of it is do you think he even wants to because you have to want it. that's the main difference is yeah i think that tom carroll could it's just that he stopped living with that level of intensity 10 and 20 years ago you yeah. know like and not that and then that's the other weird caveat here is mike ho isn't that intense of a figure you know he's actually really mellow but yeah, that type of wave, you do need a full commit, you know, 110% commitment. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an anomaly. It doesn't make sense. That's what I'm saying. I think it's an underreported story. And I think it's the kind of thing that he deserves something. I feel like somebody should acknowledge this, this feat, you know, like if a 65 year old climbed Mount Everest, There'd be a story on 60 Minutes about it. Now, actually, I know there's a million of those guys that do that, but I mean, like, did it without the help of a tour or something, or, or did it's some a bike feat. ride, you know, I know it's, but I'm just saying if there's some incredible feat that's just not done by 65-year-olds. I get the point you're making, but you already made it. There yeah. is no more incredible feat. There's there no isn't. other human on the planet. You could name dozens of 65-year-olds who climbed Everest. You can name exactly one who got barreled at back door and like not just barrel the back door but like properly barreled on the double up you know well over double overhead i think it would make a great 60 minutes feature or some sort of sports you know little mini docuseries thing like 30 for 30 or i don't know it's called the boardroom show podcast get him yeah i would like to he doesn't he's pretty wary of media i've noticed he doesn't he's not out there a lot he's he's an interesting figure because he's He's out there, but he's not out there. You know what I mean? Like you don't see a lot of, he's not clamoring for, you know, to get noticed. You know uh, what his greatest success is? Yeah. His two kids. They're amazing. Right. I mean, like, like Mason and Coco both seem like such happy, well-adjusted contributing members of society, you know, like good, good neighbors, great stewards of aloha and surfing and their family's legacy and all of that, that um, that's a huge tribute to yeah. Mike and, and, and uh, their mother for how they were raised, you know, yeah. and they're great surfers too. And that's, that's the other thing is you say, Mike shirks the limelight. I almost, a lot of my perspective on Mike comes through his children, you know, yeah. if it weren't for his children, I don't know that I would have seen him for the last 20 years, but they're constantly highlighting him and giving him accolade. And well, think about things. it. Have you ever seen like a surfer's journal thing on Mike Ho? Have you yeah. ever seen, uh, I mean, was there ever a, a uh, 
Mike feature interview in Surfer or Surfing, you know, back in the 80s? You know, no. no. Was you know what I mean? Like he, he was never um, one that sought it out. You know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. can sixty-four year old? Can yeah. you name his main sponsors from back in the day? Well, he was a big MCD guy. He was like a foundational, gotcha, more core division guy. Gotcha. Right. Uh, that was yeah. in the nineties or whatever, and he was yeah. sort of like the patriarch back then. He was like, let's get the old guy on the team. You know, as like a foundational pillar of our team. You know, well. And, and and Derek was on that team, right? I think that was an Derek insane MC- team, by the way. Martin Potter, Derek Ho, Michael Ho, Mike Stewart, um, Matt Archibald. Exactly, Archie. Um, did Andy I say, was on it for a minute. Martin Potter, yeah, Andy, and yeah, that Andy documentary kind of touched on it a lot. Um, anyway, that was you know the thing that Ashton and those guys did at Stab. Um, anyway, Michael, let's not bury this story here with our talk. He, it, what can be done? I would love it. Duke of the week. Well, I mean, bigger than that. Like it, I think it needs to be some, some young filmmaker needs to take this storyline and run with it because it's incredible. I, I, I think it's incredible. We're going to bestow the La Bamba award on Mike Ho. (laughs) By the way, I surfed the, um, I've got some great punchy windswell from the uh, Marvin Hagler swell that just hit here. Punches mid, you know, middleweight punch, a lot of punch, packs a lot of punch, that Marvin Hagler swell that just came up. Nice. And, You've been yeah. working on that one, Scott? Oh, yeah. There's been, dude, there's been, there's, yeah. every wind event has a name now. Yeah. Well, anything huge in life is now being called La Bamba. Oh, is that what's going down? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike, Mike Ho's award is the La Bamba award. Period. All right. Fair enough. Um, I got a, listener feedback regarding that he said thoughts on la bomba does it really help to call attention to the fact that vals didn't score during la bomba (laughs) (laughs) he's obviously acknowledging that if you knew how to read any of the forecast you weren't expecting it to be great um depending on where you were but he said do vals even need to score you you once brought up a question uh apparently i did um if someone is having fun out there who am i to burst their bubble so telling a Val that they didn't score, does that actually help? It, it just drives them to places they shouldn't be yet. And he goes, and I would imagine through your listening, the, you know, some of your audience might be Vals. And so uh, whatever happened to the art of the sandbag, just let them, let them put it, put informa- erroneous information out there, let them get flustered and go show up and sit in three foot waves. Uh, well, you know, there's, there's, has been a lot of, I got more commentary about the La Bamba story than it, than, than the leashless story. There was a lot of, um, you know, people, it's funny, right? People are bummed at Surfline for naming this thing. Now, granted, this was a legitimate massive swell at certain spots, it's just that specifically in San Diego County, except for a few spots, it was not only small, it was horrible. It was onshore and one foot. And like, I mean, onshore in the morning, like it wasn't even glassy in one foot. It was just, and cold. So, well, you know, it's sort of an, it's sort of a, I mean, the, the emailer is right. You know, it's like, I mean, we knew, you asked me, I said, it's going to be shitty here, you know? Yeah. Go to San Onofre. Um, 
I heard from Surfline CEO within a day after we published. Really? What's his name? What's that guy's name? The new guy. Kyle. Kyle. And he comes over from, where does he come over from again? Disney and Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what did Kyle say? This will be great. This is interesting. Oh, I'm going to interview him next week. So I'll oh, give good. You a full, I, it was supposed to be uh, yesterday, and then we got pushed back. Um, this is great, because but, I heard from somebody there, too, and, and I was like, hey, I'd like to interview this guy. I'm sure he's open to being interviewed. Well, it sounds like he, he got a hold of you before I could get a hold of him or vice versa. When I, when I first, uh, when the news broke about him taking the position, I put him on my list. Yeah. I have an, in my notes app, I have a list of kind of interviews. Right. And sometimes they um, get bumped up if there's a news story that's relevant or whatever. But I put them on there and then I just never revisited. And I think he just kind of got bumped down the list. But actually, Marcus Sanders texted me the day after we published that episode. Yeah. And, was, and he's like, hey, dude, do you have any interest in interviewing Kyle? And I was like, my first text back to him was, Oh, is this PR, uh, like PR damage control after La Bamba? And then he simply didn't reply for like eight hours. Which is yes. Well, it's all, and it's also like, dude, have a laugh, Marcus. You know, yeah, like, exactly. come on, come on, just have a laugh about it. He did not laugh. Um, but ultimately, yeah, put me in contact with Kyle. And so Kyle apparently is a listener of the podcast and a fan and all that sort of stuff. And um, so, yeah, I'll chat with him next week, but. Well, I look, I mean, I guess the question that I would ask Kyle is, is, is this a part of the new marketing strategy and the new editorial strategy? And, and frankly, I get where they're coming from. I mean, when you think about their primary proposition, their primary proposition is to get you stoked. Like when you think about it, and look, it used to be their primary. The thing that's interesting to me is that this is very anti Sean Collins. Like Sean Collins right. has left the building as far as, you know, like naming every wind event. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's okay too, but let's just acknowledge that Sean Collins would not have done this. And he was the opposite of this. He was kind of like, play, you know, play everything down. Um, and this is more like, Hey, if our main proposition as Surfline is to present when swell events occur, if we're in the business of forecasting swells, well, when they occur, let's be loud and proud and wave the flag that there's one happening. And, and I get that. I, I really do. I, I, I don't think it's a bad model, you know. It's just that it kind of rubs against the salt and the, the culture, especially here in California, that is like, hey, man, you know, figure it out for yourself. Like, we've all been doing this long enough that we don't really need anyone else to kind of just throw it out there to, you know, so that's where there's some rub, right? Is that there's like a million salty Californians that are like, really, you got it. You got to name it La Bamba before it even happens, you know, like, so, you know, and I think that's where he may be. And I think that there's some frustration within the building at Surfline because there's a lot of guys that work there. They're like, Oh man, I'm hearing it from everyone in the parking lot, you know? And, and what guess, will probably happen, this also happened when Cam, the CAM network came out, is that there was a lot of, oh, really? You're going to put a CAM on Rincon? What the hell? You know, like there's certain spots that shouldn't be, you know, blah, 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 you know, and and eventually you, you wear us down. You just wear us down and we're like, all right, this is the new normal. And that's basically, I think, what's going to happen here is that this is going to be the new normal. It is. 
and we need to acknowledge that. And I don't want to really live in a position of being disgruntled anytime there's change in life. No, me either. Me. And I, and I think that we have to acknowledge, I mean, if we're even have a modicum of intelligence, we can acknowledge that that business and a lot of surf businesses are shifting in those ways that are, look, they're designed to, it is a business. It's designed to make money. And so it's only logical that they're going to make decisions that are in the best interest of the business. And so I don't need to be disgruntled about any ideology, even if the founder of the business had that ideology, you know, it's a different time. It's a different place. And Sean might be making different decisions today, you know, considering all of those things and all of the new people that are into surfing. And so I think that recognizing that much larger theme that's developing in the surf world, Surfline, and this is the kind of the center of the conversation that I'll have with Kyle, is at the nexus of all of that change. They are an early adopter to bring on this type of capital and market the business this type of way. And other surf businesses are going to be following, following suit as well. And so let's kind of acknowledge this theme of change, all of this growth, all of this growth potential, and how other businesses have exploited that growth or used that, you know, that capital to grow their businesses. And see, let's ask how Surfline's planning to do that. Let's ask what that roadmap looks like. It's happening. You know, it's yeah. happening. We need to be smart enough to acknowledge it. And so to go into the interview disgruntled no, about, no, no. and no, I'm not, I know you're not telling me to, but I'm just saying like the position of uh, salty guy, it was this way when I was young. Why is yeah. it now this other way yeah, is just cute. an uninformed position. Like there's this much larger thing happening and Surfline is at the nexus of it. And by the way, Kyle He's just, he came from a different world and he has a general interest in surfing and maybe he grew up surfing a little bit, but he's not a hardcore. It's not like a dedicated surfer who started at Surfline from the bottom and worked his way up to the CEO position. This guy's a professional, you know, um, I forget exactly his resume at this point, but he worked in those, the top companies in the world creating, you know, so it, he you know he, he's his perspective is going to be on how to grow the business. It's not I think his on. expertise is in taking technology and, and making it a consumer uh, digestible, like connecting consumers to technology is basically kind of where he the word technology from. was definitely in his resume. I do remember yeah. that. Well, here's an interesting way to look at this, right? Is to go, how would Sean Collins have handled this situation? And to suggest that Sean wouldn't have highlighted the swell is wrong. Sean absolutely would have said, Hey, there's there's a big swell now. I think that Sean would have would have um, probably waited for the swell to occur rather than naming it La Bamba and it's on its way and everyone fly to places. You know, I, I, I believe now, and I can't speak, you know, it would really be a great interview and who will never probably ever do an interview. And I got to give him credit for that is Dave Gilovich because Dave Gilovich has been there since the very beginning, since day one with Sean Collins. So Dave could speak to how Sean would handle this. But I suggest to you that, that Sean would not have named it. He would have said, There's just, this is a Southwell, it's a hardy one, you know? Um, and after the fact, he would have, you know, they would have shown videos of various spots. 
look, Malibu makes sense. Puerto Escondido makes sense. I think everything they did kind of Sean would have done on some level, like when the swell occurs and you have great footage, it's your job as Surfline to present the footage. They just happened to brand this one particular thing. Instead of calling it, you know, the first South swell of May or whatever, they've called it La Bamba. And that's really where there's a lot of differentiation between Sean and what's happened now with Kyle. Yeah, but Sean, once you put a marketer in the building, you know, and a team of marketers in the building. And so Sean wasn't a marketer. Sean was a surf forecaster and the business grew um, and continues to grow. And those, they're just like, we have to, we have to see growth every year. And so what, what's better than telling people about the swell after the swell happened? You know what? Let's tell let's get mileage out of this. Let's tell them about it before it happens. So it's a totally different decision-making process with a different end goal in mind. And the fact of the matter is it was a significant mm-hmm. swell. I mean, look, that's their job. It was a significant swell. So I, I, and I, and there could be also in play here is there's mm-hmm. a vocal minority. There's a vocal minority that's like, ah! you know, and, and it's easy low. It's always been easy, low hanging fruit to bash Surfline, And they actually provide an insane service. I use them every single day. If there's one site that I'm on every day, it's Surfline, and and I and I'm thankful for it, and I gladly pay the premium to be on it. I think they, I, I like what they do, um, and you know, it's easy to kind of be the salty, grumpy guy. At the end of the day, did it? There's so much bigger, broader, more important social issues than whether or not they named a swell beforehand. A hundred percent. And but our job on the podcast is to it discuss surf culture and this is an evolution of our culture you know so but i agree with you when you said it's probably just the vocal minority i keep referring to them wanting to see growth in their business and if there was a majority that was opposed to what they were doing then it pro- they probably would enact change and negotiate and navigate their next swell differently but the reality is even the vocal minority who is anti what they did was right back on Surfline the very next day, checking the cams at their local spot. You and know, like, watching all the La Bamba videos of all exactly. the different, you know. Yeah. So they're not, I don't think that they're too concerned about people talking crap. Like they've accepted that a long time ago and they just quietly collect your monthly fee. Exactly. And, and I mean, this happened at Surfer Magazine too. We would always, you know, you're going to piss people off. You're just going to, it's just, it's like, here's the deal. Surfers, Surfers are the, are worst. the worst. I mean, they complain about the stupidest like stuff. And at the end of the day, it's just about catching waves, having fun, putting a smile on your face, sort of rinsing off the stress, being uh, athletic, getting getting your workout in, you know, and Surfline's a big part of making that happen. You know? Well, I, I, I'm not even bothered by the fact that surfers are the worst. I mean, we say that in jest, but I actually like it that surfers are the worst when I get together, when Lauren and I get together at the end of the day, a lot of it is just talking crap. You know, it's just like, oh my God, this guy on the freeway was going 50 in the fast lane. Ah, And like, cause we're intimate and we're close and that's, you like to just riff on stuff. So I'm not actually angry at the guy who was in the fast lane. I'm never going to do anything to that guy. And that's what a lot of this banter is us being able to rib surf line 
is because you rib your friends, you know, and you want to be able yeah. to talk crap and bash them. And by the way, same thing goes with the WSL. While I think yeah. that we have a lot of valid criticism about the WSL and ways that uh, they could, you know, yeah. uh, do their business better and actually it's progress. It's fun to be a quarterback, quicker. right? It's fun it's to be fun. an armchair quarterback. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, you know who you don't ever hear me bashing? Uh, politicians who I actually dislike. Yeah. You know, you never hear me on here bantering about them because I actually take that. Which is very every, sing every single one of them, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I take those things seriously and I hold that much closer to my vest. And that's a very yeah. different conversation. But yeah. being able to kind of get on here and just banter about stuff means that you're. Let's spit. You man. Know, We're spitballing. Yeah. You're in our good graces. Yeah. We love you, Surfline. Yeah. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> Sorry, Marcus. David Gilovich would be a great interview, but I, I know him well enough to know that he would he's going to pass, but he would be a fun one just to, you know, because he's, he's extremely knowledgeable. Anytime you see him like on a, some sort of little documentary clip about surfing or whatever, he's always the smartest guy on the clip and they never show enough of him and he's good. But anyway, well, um, speaking of La Bamba, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. La Bamba. Speaking of La Bamba day one and two at Margaret river, Scott. It went I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, David. Do you know that there's still 23 heats to go? If there were only 24 surfers on the CT, we would have finished Margaret River in some of the most epic waves ever. They would have surfed the entire event in one epic swell. And uh, now we're waiting as spotty conditions and uh, there will actually be some surf, but we've got rain and weird winds. And probably I see them ending this in not the you know, not the types of surf that we would hope for. I'm sure it'll be four to six feet or whatever, but uh, we'll see. We shall see. I don't mean to be a salty guy on this one, but I just wish there was only 24 surfers on the CT. By the way, Peterson Cristianto yeah. is, is just a, a thinner, smoother version of William Cardoso. Oh, good call. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't necessarily need to see any more William Cardoso. Not that Peterson doesn't surf great. But he just looks like a QS warrior. And I don't, I'll go to the QS if I want to see QS warriors. I thought you were going to say he looks like Adriano 2.0, but you might be even more accurate to use William Cardoso. Yes. Um, some listener, after the glory that was those first two days, yeah. somebody DM'd me and they're just like, great. I can't wait to hear this week's podcast when you guys put a spin, a negative spin on this. <laughs> and, and there goes Scott, the opening segment of what Scott says. I enjoyed and the shit out of it. Let me rephrase. I, what I'm... <laughs> I, oh, I replied, I replied to that guy and I would go spin. There's never any spin. There's like a, you know, um, accurate critique of things, which are always centered around the idea that if you put good surfers in good waves, it'll solve 99% of what we're criticizing. And so what happened? They ran the event in good waves and it solved everything magically. You know what I mean? It's like this one thing that we've been harping on over and over and we build around that with a lot of other criticism, but this one thing solves everything. There's yeah. less squabbling about, you know, fractional differences between scores because the disparities become much more noticeable. Um, and it's just entertaining. There's dramatics are inherent in man or woman versus ocean, period. The secondary 
kind of uh, competition is between the two competitors in the water, but their primary opponent is mother nature. And there's no way to replicate that once the waves kind of get small. So day one and day two were phenomenal to watch. To your point, I fully agree. You sit through some heats with just very underwhelming surfing with surfers who are out of position, the best sets, you know, steamrolling them. And then once they're up and riding, they're trepidatious and you're wondering if they're gonna be able to just hang on for the ride. And that is a black eye for the WSL. Like we do not need to see that. And by the way, that's more than half the surfers on tour. Yeah. So. You know what, I here's my takeaway. And the emailer that said that is, is right. Uh, you know, we shouldn't, there was a lot of really fun surfing to watch. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be good if it was over? You know, like they had it, like, why are we going to have it in less than perfect waves at the end of the Well, wouldn't you know, it be good if it event? was over and they were already on their way to the next swell right. somewhere exactly. else in the world that's, all, exactly. that's equally pumping. And right. that's what people don't understand. Like, that's what we're running all of our conversations through that filter. And we've right. stated it, but maybe we just stated it eight episodes ago and we haven't restated it. Yeah. But this isn't the only option. It's not like, oh, we either run 32 surfers at QS venues or nothing at all. You guys should be grateful that we're doing that. No, no, no. We could be running 10 to 12 surfers at these quality of waves, you know, in a Multiple one or two times. day. Yeah. yeah, it's a heavyweight bout. Um, so, so here's my takeaway real quick. Yeah. If, if I can, and then I want to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like the right-hander at main break at Margaret uh, is better served by the goofy foots. They have the opportunity to go vertical and do that insane power gash underneath the lip, the likes of which Jacob Wilcox did and Ryan Callanan did. And the regular foots, and I know there's some exceptions, speaking of John John, the regular foots seem to have to go out onto the flat part of the face more and do that sort of, and it gets fat quick and do that sort of check, you know, that sort of turn at the top. That's just, it feels like it's not as crucial as the goofy foots being able to go straight up into it and do the power carve underneath the hook. I don't know if you noticed that, but I kept thinking to myself, goofy foots are in a, at an advantage here, unless you're surfing against John, John Florence. Now the heat with Patterson and Owen Wright would suggest I'm wrong. But um, that's my takeaway is that the goofy foot seem to be, have an advantage. It's, um, it's an unpopular opinion. I mean, <laughs> I think you're the only person who has made that assessment, but you're not wrong. And that assessment wasn't accurate two years ago and, and beyond, you know? And I mean, if you look at the record, like who was the last goofy footer that won out there? Chris Gallagher, maybe? Um, uh, I'm, I'm not even saying winning. I'm just saying a, a, over the course of right. a round of 16 heats, it just felt like if you were a goofy foot and you had the game, you could get, get that vertical sort of Matt Wilcox, Owen Wright, Ryan Callanan, Jacob Wilcox. Who's vertical Matt Wilcox? <laughs> Matt Wilkinson, sorry. Um, so that's, yeah, what I'm suggesting is surfing's evolved in a way that you, that that is now an advantage out there. And sometimes that'll happen throughout, you know, um, seasons where you see a wave surfed a brand new, uh, J Bay with Felipe Toledo doing the two airs or whatever. And you're just like, wow, it wasn't really ever surfed that way before. And now that's the benchmark. And, um, yeah, I'm wondering if that's what's happening this year for the goofy footers, because you're absolutely right. I, I didn't think about it. I didn't assess it in real time, 
But as you talk about Ryan Callanan's wave, it's like, yeah, that, and, and also the regular footers often run into that fat section. I mean, more often than not, they run into that fat section before they can squeeze in the turn and John John's turn that he's patented out there is to accommodate for that. It's like, it's not quite right up, but it is taking advantage of that same section that the goofy footers are taking advantage of and it's down carving into it. So he's using the full open face of the wave, but still using like the, the kind of upright critical part just without doing a standard snap that most people would do there. So you're right. Yeah, you're right. John John's figured it out on his front hand. Nobody else really has. Sometimes somebody will sneak in a little turn there, but then the goofy footers have easier access to it. Yeah, you're you actually nailed it. That elongated down carve, those extra two or three seconds of buried rail that John John does makes up for that fat section that they're out on. And um, Kayo comes to mind as a guy who who I saw do do that as well, who kind of held the rail for longer and made it look cool. Um, but yeah, you know, just just sort of just sort of a quick takeaway that I had on watching it. Um, and, and maybe if you went through and did a cam or did an event rewind, you, you know, I could be proven wrong, but that's the vibe I was getting. Well, you're right so far. Um, it'd be interesting to see if a goofy footer does take the event as a result. Um, more just following up on a couple of themes that we've been tracking Morgan Siblick falters. Yeah. So he obviously was running it, coming into this event hot. He faltered against Seth Moniz. I think it was the round of 32. Um, I feel like Felipe has really made a resurgence. I would not have put money on Felipe in this event, period. And especially seeing the forecast. And Felipe looked, I mean, very confident and comfortable in, in the bigger waves with bigger boards. Yeah, but I don't think he's in the event any longer, is he? He still is. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. He's actually, I remember checking heat totals. I feel like he got higher heat totals than uh, Idolo or Gabe. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's still in there. Well, to me, the, 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 the big thing is, is uh, Jack Robinson, right? Dude. So we had, we had some bad performances on the East coast and we all agreed, okay, is there going to be pressure on Jack? He doesn't, is it just me or does he just look kind of, uh, I don't want to say generic, but there isn't, he doesn't look like he's up to the level of the top 10 guys. That's all I'm saying. He looks, he doesn't look like he's up to Morgan Sibillic's level. Well, as far as not, spark, he's, he's not Jack Freestone. He's like, he's underperforming. Fully underperforming. He doesn't have the spark and that kind of passion and drive that Morgan Sibillic has. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about Jack that we're going to hit a Julian Wilson 2.0 kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Like all the promise in the world, all of the talent, and you see it show up in that heat. It did. He had a wave or two. You're like, there it is. He's going to come. And then he just doesn't, he doesn't have that competitive tenacity. I feel like he's trying too hard. That's the vibe I get is that he's trying too hard. I don't know, but it was disappointing because he was on my survival, uh, team he was oh. my pick for the event oh. and so i lost i'm out of the survival league this season ah oh, welcome to the welcome to the bar thank <laughs> you, you you can have a schooner of new thanks i yeah. honestly i i rethought that after i picked him i was like you know he's not the most despite him being so well suited for the venue i mean he's from there 
he's not the most savvy competitor. I should have gone with John John. John John's well suited for the venue. He's a winner out there, and um, I'm not going to use him throughout the. The only other time in the season that I might use John John would be Chopu. But I've still got Gabriel. I've still got Idolo that I could use in those venues. So I should have picked John John in this venue, and I blew it. This is the beauty of Survival League: is that you can overthink it. You know, like I overthought it with Seth. Like I'm like, well, Seth's bound to get through pipe, yeah. right? I mean, come yeah. on, he lives there. He's shredding there. He's the hot new guy out there. And instead, you, you know, it's better to just kind of stick with the ones that are going to get you through. Just think about today. Don't think about the next event you know just yeah. think about today um the well, next heat that's of interest is heat number three in my book you've got julian wilson versus jordy smith both of these guys need a result if they're looking at being in the the last two four and five spots at lowers and so this heat to me and it's these two guys that have sort of come up together through the ranks um obviously julian julian's a little younger but um this is a heat where it's like two full-on veterans and one of them, they both need a result. And one of them, I mean, this could be the end of the scene for one of these guys right here, heat three. I mean, that's the neat thing about this shortened season is that everything's counts right now. We're only in the fourth event and it's like, this is the back half of the season. Um, I'm really disappointed in these guys performance in this event like even though they're at they're in the round of 16 neither of them has surfed to their potential and Jordy specifically I was watching his heat he got waves that he could have lit up he surfed so tepidly and he barely made the heat it was against god it was against a goofy footer a far inferior surfer it might have been Alec, uh, Alex Ribeiro and I was like it came down to scores being called out on the beach and Alex got the score he needed, which by the way, was only like a six something. And then Jordy's walking up behind him and Jordy got the score that he needed on his final wave, which was also a six. I'm like, Jordy should never be in those positions, especially in those types of waves. He rode at least six waves in that heat, head high, rights with tons of potential. And he just barely hung on to turns. He did not surf like Jordy surfs. I just do not know what's going on. And I was like, well, maybe he's just underestimating, no, I, underestimating no. Alex and just trying to get through the heat and he's going to peak later in the event, but you can't do that. You've got everything on the line right now, Jordy, like do a, do a crazy air that we've seen you do a million times before do a crazy hack that we've seen you do a million times before. Yeah. I think we do know what's going on and it's this tightening. There's a tightening of of the mindset, right? If we saw Alex Ribeiro and Jordy Smith free surfing main break, it would be so obvious that Jordy Smith is 15 times the surfer that Alex Ribeiro is. Everyone would just be like, Jordy was ripping. But because we have jerseys on and there's points on the line and there's world titles that need to be won, this stuff all tightens up the psychological mindset of these guys. And especially if you're a veteran that has a lot of sort of weight on your shoulders here um and that's what's going on there's not this and this is this happened to kelly slater i mean that letting go moment in whatever year it was um for devin's sake i'll say 2002 but it was actually 2005 right when letting go heat at chopu there was this tightening and until kelly just said you know what forget it i'm just gonna surf and have fun and all of a sudden he just started surfing and ripping yeah. and it's because he let go of that 
that there were, you know, he let the, the um, gas out of the canisters. And, um, and that's really hard to do. I mean, you know, that takes at this point, and I've said it before, these guys all rip, right? But it's about who's got the mental game. And, and really, I mean, on some level, a coach, a sports psychologist makes some sense, you know? But even that yeah. can backfire, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say, despite me having Jack Robinson on my team and like really needing him to win that heat, I was kind of glad to see Jeremy Flores make him pay. Like there was an element of me rooting for Jeremy Flores in that heat. Um, and the other thing is Jeremy surfs good waves. Like Jeremy's great at surfing good waves and it's done him no favors to run events in pools and at beach breaks and all that sort of stuff. And he'll say that in his post heat interviews, he'll be like, like, what am I doing here? The only reason I stay on tour is to surf the best waves in the world with nobody out. Why am I still here? And so to see him get opportunities out there, get barreled by the way at main break, and not squander those opportunities in the way that Julian and Jordy kind of buckle under pressure. Jeremy, and by the way, Jeremy has in the past squandered opportunities, but in that specific heat, he had the local hero who is posting eights getting barreled out there. And Jeremy just the very next wave, eight, five, eight, seven, eight, and just kept one, one up in Jack, you know? And so I loved seeing that. And Jeremy, um, deserve to win that heat ultimately. And you know what? He always surfs with no pressure. Jeremy took the pressure off of himself. He's like, I can't even, I mean, you hear him. Sure. I can't even believe I'm here. I can't even believe sure. I'm on tour. It's, this is the bonus round for me. I don't care what happens. Yeah. And that's why he he's doing so well. Cause it's not like he's, you know, Philippe Toledo out there, you yeah. know, he, he's sort of um, just kind of ham and exit. You know, and I, I don't mean to underplay what he's doing. He's ripping, but it, you know, it's the same surfing we've seen him do for 10 yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And it's, it's his mental game that he's just so loose. He's like, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, whereas the other guys are like, uh-oh, I got a lot yeah. to lose, so I'm going to lose it, you know? And I think that needs to be brought out more on the broadcast, too. Well, the other title contenders, one and two, Idolo and Gabriel are still in the event. Uh, they're surfing fine. They're putting 15-point totals on the board, so that's good. Um, but I haven't seen anything dazzling from them yet they've been overshadowed or over uh yeah overshadowed by some other competitors in the event i mean john john's wave was the highlight of the event thus far yeah watching having high expectations for john john at main break and then watching him paddle out and get that 10 almost at the beginning of the heat was like really delivering on a promise that uh on a potential that was almost hard to live up to I gotta say, I kind of do like the end section of that wave. The fact that it's that it's make or break. The fact that those two waves come together with so much power, and that you've got to negotiate that coming down the wave face after you do your final hit there. I think it's kind of fascinating, you know. Like John John did a sick turn on it after he got that barrel. Right. I know. Right. He was like, "Oh, oh, what? Oh, here we go! Boom!" And that was the claim. That was an anti-claim. That was like. John didn't throw his hands in the air, but he did celebrate the moment, but it was purely out of, uh, it was earnest. It was purely out of him not thinking he was going to make that barrel when he came out just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, there's an end section and he goes right into the turn. So those are the claims we like to see. Right. No claim claims. Ernest. Okay. Ernest well, 
You know what else I got? It's something kind of interesting here. A crystallized surfboard. Did you see this? I'm not sure. A crystallized surfboard was the oh, end yeah, yeah. product of a collaboration between Hayden Shapes and New York-based Daniel Arsham. While the concept of mixing designer accessories, I'm reading from Stab, by the way. While the concept of mixing designer accessories with surf products seemed awkward, it turned out to be pretty successful for Hayden Shapes. The board sold out almost immediately with a retail cost of 2,500. They sold 500 of them. That's $1,250,000 in sales. So that's kind of interesting, right? This crystallized no, surfboard. I, I don't get it at all. I, I've seen three of these this week. That one, uh, three of like designer surfboards yeah. that are going to be wall hangers. Uh, that one, there was James Purse, the clothing brand. Um, they've always had surfboards in their... Uh, showrooms like in their retail spaces and i think uh barahona is making them but so it's like they're made they're employing a local builder you know that's cool and uh they look cool but they're just for display well they just did some they just made one available and i want to say it was like four thousand bucks forty five hundred bucks maybe and it's mm -hmm. an i think it's an egg and then somebody else sent me one too like a high fashion brand gucci or somebody who um just made a surfboard available for like the $10,000 range. Let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, okay. Louis Vuitton. Alex Israel is a artist. He's like a visual artist partnered with Louis Vuitton to make a surfboard for $12,000. And it's a, it is a proper egg. It does not look <laughs> special at all. It's not a Fabergé egg. <laughs> it's not a Fabergé and it's not a mid-length. It's just a proper egg design. $12,000. And you know, wow. they sold out because it's Louis, like whoever's buying Louis Vuitton yeah. surfing school, they'll buy that. Or whoever likes Alex Israel, you can't buy a lot of his stuff because it's all visual media. So they buy that, you know, but it's just three of those in this week. Uh, grossly overpriced surfboards catering to a collector market you know well you know i found it interesting I, i'm sort of i sort of dabble in that space so i found it kind of interesting would you write i mean do you have any interest in having that hate in shape well i mean my feeling is you know there's there's so many great boards out there that actually have some cultural significance you know that that yeah that, exactly that are actually you know, for lack of a better phrase, antiques with provenance, you know? Exactly. So that's my point is like yeah. this, these things, these are um, manufactured cultural significance that is really just biting off of the culture. Yeah. It's like, it's designers and artists coming in, looking at the culture and being like, let's leverage that to sell our thing. But it in no way benefits that culture. It actually bastardizes it. Maybe. I don't think a true culture can be bastardized. If there's a, a true sincere culture, I don't think, I think it, the sincerity and the truth and the honesty of the culture puts up a barrier that is impenetrable. Meaning we're never going to see that board paddle out in the lineup. Right. That, there's that, but you know <laughs> exactly. what I mean? Like, I agree. You know, no, I, I agree mean, with you completely. If you're a faker, you're a faker and there's no, you know, everyone knows it. So whatever. Yeah. yeah, and if you went to a dinner party and you saw the Louis Vuitton board at somebody's house, you'd laugh at him. You'd be like, 
what? pick it up and put my fingers through it. Oh, look at the rails on this thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, Get your grubby hands all over it. Well, because because you didn't take a bathroom break, we don't we didn't do our mid roll. Should we squeeze oh, it in right now and then we'll go to? I'm, um, I'm going to squeeze in a bathroom break. <laughs> all right, make it quick. Because <laughs> I have one more story after this. Yeah, guy. There I was <laughs> counting counting backwards, trying to get the thing flowing. Too much. Too much info. Um, <laughs> let's just give a quick shout out to our supporters, Scott. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Set up a monthly subscription. Set it and forget it. And um, the guy who runs Survival League, by the way, DM'd me two days ago. And he's like, hey, you sold me on Athletic Greens. I've got the order coming now. I'm excited to try it. And I go, look, I'm fully sold on it. As you're kind of, as an aging, as an adult, middle-aged adult, who cares about fitness and health, I want to make sure I'm getting greens in every day. And there's no easier way than this. You know, it's like I would go days without mess, maybe having a salad or greens with dinner or whatever. And yeah. this just solves the problem. This is like put a powder in water, take it in the morning, and then forget about it for the rest of the day. And if I continue to have salads or whatever throughout, then that's all great. But just knowing that my bases and my gaps are covered in the morning checks a box for the day. And I actually feel the difference too. So. Absolutely. Look, real nutrition source from whole foods plus probiotics and unique enzymes so that this stuff gets absorbed into our system. It's a, it's a great product. I'm a big fan and it's oh, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Yep. And then of course, need essentials.com. Uh, By the way, John, John Florence, the day before the Margaret River event, posted in his Instagram stories that yeah. uh, Need Essentials' latest film, Lost Track Atlantic, is the best surf film he's seen in some time. He posted a video uh, clip of him watching it and was like, dude, congratulations, boys. This is the best surf film I've seen in some time. So oh, John cool. John's, John John's a fan of Lost Track. Well, there you go. Boom. I mean, need I say more? Need? No, I don't, I don't think I need to say anything of John John's backing it neatessentials.com wow. for wetsuits and outerwear and of course nvs surfnvs.com promo code podcast for all of your surf things hey did you know that sterling spencer's being treated for traumatic brain injury provocateur humorist pro surfer sterling spencer and i'm reading here about a year and a half ago and this is sterling speaking about a year and a half ago, I got hit in the head with my surfboard fin. Six months later, I completely lost my mind and I was walking the streets at night. My family thought I was crazy. They took me to the doctors. They said I was depressed. I finally found out I had a traumatic brain injury from that incident. So then I got on a good program. Then I got really sick, probably COVID, and I couldn't get out of bed for probably three months. It was terrible. Then I slowly started getting better and I was walking up hills three times a day. Then I got into a car accident. I got hit by a drunk driver while sitting at a red light. They were going 40 miles an hour and the accident totally re-injured my brain. For three months, I couldn't walk, wheelchair only. Now I'm seeing a neurologist, a specialist, and that's what you're seeing. Hopefully I'll be surfing soon. So my our thoughts go out to Sterling Spencer who um, is in a pretty bad way here and certainly um, you know, needs some... Uh, Needs some prayers if you're into that type of thing, which I am. I'm into prayer. 
It is very interesting. And I'm glad that uh, Sterling is aware enough of these things to actually treat them and diagnose them. Head trauma is no joke. And I think a lot of it goes misdiagnosed. Like if you just had a minor incident, if your surfboard hit you in the head, for example, you might treat the uh, a superficial wound, you know, and, um, and then not be able to sleep for months on end and maybe be vomiting or maybe be um, angry at your spouse or your dog, or maybe be experiencing depression and not be able to attribute it back to the head trauma but it manifests itself in a lot of unpredictable ways and a lot of it behaviorally. And um, I don't know what the treatment is. I'm glad Sir Sterling seems to be doing some sort of treatment, but I don't know what the treatments are. And it's scary. It's a very, very insidious thing. You have to be really, yeah. really cautious. Yeah. It is. I think more will be revealed when he wants to reveal it. So that was my other story I wanted to touch on. Yeah, well... Yeah. Good luck to Spencer. We're all, we're all big fans, obviously. Did I tell you Mike Ho's 64 years old and surfing massive pipe? No, I, I didn't heard that yet. That's incredible. Hey, I got to run. I got a nine o'clock. I got to go to here. Um, well, you're 40 minutes away from it. So we got plenty of time, Scott. Let's keep going. Um, I want to say, I do want to say my must-see moment. Unbelievable yeah. <clears throat> moment this week. John John Florence dropped an edit called Maps of Home. Yeah. Did, did you watch? No. Do you, or were you aware? I think I was. Somebody sent me a, a text that said, hey, you got to watch this and watch it on the big screen. It's crazy. So, yeah. Those, it's all um, Hawaii footage. And I want to say it's about 20 minutes, but remember that massive outer reef swell, yeah. those lefts yeah. that he was riding yeah. on like a 9.8 Paisel yeah. uh, Padillac? It's that footage plus like triple overhead Holly Eva that he's doing those giant carves on and smashing the lip on um, some beach break stuff out front, like really, really unbelievable surfing. And a lot of that footage that we've been waiting on for probably four or five months now, it's all in maps of home. Cool. I'm going to watch that. I'm looking forward to seeing that. You must watch it. It's a it's mandate. Right. Okay. I've duly noted. It will be done. Hey, next time I'll see you live and in person, boardroom show. Can't wait. What? I've never, I haven't seen you live since pre-COVID. Oh, September 25th and 26th. Yeah, so we'll finally see each other in person. Okay. You don't think in the next four months we're going to see each other? Nope. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't for the last year and four months, so. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, um, hey, until next time, David, Wolfgang Guy Scales. Super. <laughs> Super. Until next time, adios and aloha.
Dr. Pepper, I'm sorry. <laughs>